You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I made a huge mistake, Ed. I made a terrible, awful, disastrous decision this year. What, you went you went dress shopping with your wife? No, I decided I was going to coach a t-ball team. Oh, no! What are you thinking? <laughs> what is wrong with you? The other two kids are older now. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old right. and a little 5-year-old. I've never coached him. I coached the other kids. So I'm like, I'll be great at it this time around. Like, I, I've done this before. It's brutal. I'm going to tell you something right now. Trying to coach any kind of team as a volunteer in this current age and era is a disaster waiting to happen. Let me tell you about three emails that I received all today before we sat down. The first one is somebody angry that the neck gaiters that are being handed out to the entire league from T-ballers all the way on up for the kids is angry that their child has to wear one and is pulling both of their children off of my team two weeks before the season starts because they have to wear a neck gaiter while they play. The next one was an email from somebody who asked me if somebody was going to be walking around and checking to make sure all of the gaiters were secured on the faces of these four, five, and six-year-olds because they were concerned if they would come off. So think about the opposite ends of that spectrum. Oh, my God. And the third person (laughs) wanted to know why I haven't had more t-ball practices before we start on the 26th of April. When, and I will repeat this to you, and if you've never coached a t-ball team, had a kid in t-ball, maybe you don't understand how ridiculous that is, that statement, that email that was sent to me. But all t-ball is, is a small child trying to hit a ball off of a tee while coaches stand in the field, and it's basically just a big practice against another team. They don't even finish the game in t-ball. They just have an hour-long time limit, and wherever they're at at the end, it's over. The last kid in the lineup hits a home run automatically no matter where it goes, and everybody gets to bat every inning. But we need extra practices because Billy down the street has had more practices than what I've had. And her kid is four and a half years old. These are the three emails that I received today before I started Socks in the Basement with you. And I'm ready to just quit. And I haven't had my first game yet. Like, I'm done. I hate people. Welcome to Socks in the Basement. Four fans, five fans, 30 minutes of good. Chris has lost his mind, and I'll be taking over yeah. from now on. Brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Listen, when we were at Cork and Carry at the park over the weekend, one of the coolest things that happened, and there were a lot of cool ones, and thanks to everybody for coming out. That was an awful lot of fun. If you didn't catch it, it came out. The episode, a 30-minute version of that came out on Sunday. So if you missed it, go back and check it out everywhere a podcast can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. But one of the really cool things is that uh, a listener came up and first off, uh, you know, complimented the show, said he loved it, introduced me to his girlfriend. Uh, I guess she's hooked on the show now too. I thought that was really cool. And then right away he goes, and uh, because of you, I bought a new place and had family waterproofing solutions come in and fix all the problems that they had before I moved in. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, they were awesome. He went to the sponsor and flat out said, Socks in the Basement says I should go to you. What is wrong with this place? They came in, 
fixed everything with the foundation, seepage in the basement, any leaks that he had. It was an old building. He was rehabbing it. They went and did the entire thing for him. Now he's moved in and he's comfortable, all because he listens to the ad at the beginning of the show, looks at the phone number that's on the Socks in the Basement logo, and goes to FAMWS.com, and he got a discount, he told me, because he mentioned Socks in the Basement. There's no better ringing endorsement than that. We are happy that our sponsor makes other people happy. That made me feel good inside. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing to see and hear. And that's why we like, you know, you like going out and and doing stuff live like that in front of the fans because then you can hear what kind of an impact you're having on people's lives. So uh, another thing that I'm feeling really positive about, uh, James Fox from Future Sox is going to be joining us here on this show. Uh, I already know what he's upset about. And we're going to get into it because if, if you follow him on Twitter, you know exactly what's driving him nuts about the first week and a half, two weeks of this season. Let me guess. He wants you to have more T-ball practices. No, no, no. He wants more Andrew Vaughn. We're ah, going to get into that, okay? okay? <laughs> but the thing that has been frustrating to me that is not a positive thing has been the way that people are, I would say, overreacting to the first couple weeks of the season. Last year, every game was the equivalent of 2.7 games, a 60-game schedule was the same as 2.7 games. We beat the drum here on Socks of the Basement about the idea that every game mattered so much more. It's why we had the Ricks factor, where we, yeah. we looked at every Ricky Renteria decision and every Rick Hahn decision early on in the season with personnel and said, how many wins did this gain us or lose us? Because over 60 games, they meant so much more. Every win, every loss meant so much more. It felt like an NFL season that way, didn't it? It did. It felt like the NFL season. The, the problem is, is that people have taken that intensity and brought it back to a 162-game season. You can't do that. You, no, you can't do you're that. You're going to give yourself an aneurysm, guys, if you're, if you're analyzing every game like that over 162. Look, if every game last year was worth 2.7 games, when you wake up on a Wednesday morning when this episode comes out, as you're listening to it right now, the White Sox have played the equivalent of two games of last year's schedule. They're two games into their 60-game schedule. Right. It's If you want to use that formula in reverse, where did you feel after two games last year? And was that ridiculous to feel that way? Did you really know what the team was two games in last year? Do you really know what the team is now, 11 games in this year? And, and that's the thing that people have. Look, there's concerns. There's things I'm not super happy about. I don't like seeing as much Nick Williams as we joked about in the in spring training. Yeah, it's a bit much of Nick. The walk-off win on Monday night was not because Nick Williams is a great hitter. It's because of an error that normally that would have been a fielder's choice as first and third with two outs. Okay, just because Yasmani Grandal's head is clearly the same size as my noggin and took up too much space <laughs> as the throw was being sent over to second, that's the only reason they walk off on Nick Williams being up at the plate. I'm really sick of looking at him out there. He's out there way too much for my for my own taste. I don't know if you feel differently, but but what aggravates you right now? Does anything aggravate you right now? Well, no. It, it, so there's things that nothing aggravates me right now. I'm a little. I had expected a little bit better from Tony Larusa as far as managing the bullpen, and I think he's. I think the 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 idea that he's getting a feel for it still. I think he should really have an idea of who they were based on spring training, based on the fact that, you know, you can see tape and you can talk to guys in the front office and you can look back on what they were and what they have been. This is not a new crowd. You know, Garrett Crochet is newish. Michael Kopech is new. But otherwise, these guys are all what you, you know, expected them to be and where you expected to put them. So I'm not, I'm not aggravated by that. And I'm not really worried even about seeing too much Nick Williams because Adam Engel's not here. 
and we aren't seeing Adam Engel there. And I'm not worried too much about seeing too much Danny Mendick because Tim Anderson's on the shelf. And, you know, and do I like the idea that yesterday, if it hadn't been Nick Williams, it might have been Billy Hamilton? No, but, you know, I understand that you're going to get in situations like that, so I'm not really worried about the idea that maybe the weakest guy on the bench is going to get an at-bat in what could be a really clutch situation. But there's there's a lot of things that I'm looking forward to them figuring out and turning around, but I can't afford to be aggravated at this point in the season with anything because it's all stuff that I feel like at the end of end of the year, you're going to look back and go, wait, what was I talking about back in April? I mean, I have the advantage of being on a podcast with you where I can literally go back to these episodes and go, what was I, what was I mad about back on April, you know, April 14th when we, we aired that episode? You know, the, the thing that I'm mad about, if there's anything you could be angry about, you could be angry about the fact that we knew last year the White Sox were spectacular against left-handed pitching and terrible against right-handed pitching. And they were just able to play over it with the talent that they have. Like, they're basically an average team against righties and a spectacular team against lefties. And when you add in all those lefty wins and you go about 500 against righties, you're a winning team. But it was something that should have been addressed in the offseason, and it doesn't seem like it was addressed. And we're fortunate, at least, that your mean Mercedes is good against both sides. So that's a, that's been the one thing. Like I've been, I was looking at the stats today just to kind of give you a taste. When the White Sox are going up against a lefty pitcher, they have several guys that have over 1,000 OPS. Luis Roberts got an 1117. Yermin's got a 1245. Andrew Vaughn has an 1100 OPS when he's up against lefties. Jose Abreu, a 964. Zach Collins, in his small sample size, an 833. They hit fine against lefties. That's great. But the thing that bothered me and the thing that worried me all offseason was something that we talked about before the 2020 season. And that was Jose Abreu against right-handed pitching. Habitually in his career, he's basically average against righties. Last year, he broke the mold on that. Last year, he had an MVP season. Last year, he was just as good against righties as he was against lefties. But early on this season, Jose Abreu against righties. He's now got 30 at-bats. He's hitting 167 with a 578 OPS, a 278 on-base percentage, and he's only slugging 300. If he regresses back to what he is against righties, this team's in trouble. With Aloy Jimenez being a guy who was actually able to balance things a little bit out because he could hit against righties and lefties last year, this team could be in trouble. And the only guy who really is killing righties, there, there's two of them, Yermin Mercedes and Danny Mendick. <laughs> they're they're, they're killing. Adam Eaton's actually got a 982 OPS too. I left him out. He's actually doing pretty well, 28 at bat so far early on in the season, hitting 286 with a 982 OPS. But Jose Abreu, terrible right now against them. Yasmani Grandal, even worse, an 059 batting average over 17 at-bats and a 502 OPS against righties. So this team needs to figure out that problem. Luis Robert hitting 233 right now with a 606 OPS against righties. So the team has massive problems when it comes to that side when you have a pitcher throwing from the right side, and you're going to get more righties than lefties this year. So... You really worry about that because if it doesn't come together, the only person you could blame, you can't blame LaRusa for it. You blame Rick Hahn and you blame the guy that gave him a, a very small budget in Jerry Reinsdorf because that problem wasn't addressed and it could have been. But see, I think it was addressed in some way. And I think I think it's even too early to be to be too worried about that. 
And I agree with you on, on Jose Abreu regressing and going back to being very average against righties. And I think that that's something that's going to happen. I am getting a little worried that Luis Robert is a guy that is going to feast on lefties but is going to struggle on righties, although I think the talent is there that he could turn that around too, trying to be optimistic. But I think bringing in Adam Eaton was a move to try and get them somebody that's going to be better against righties and give them some balance in the lineup. I think Yohan Moncada is supposed to be a guy that when he is at his best as is that left-handed bat in the middle of the order. And I think Andrew Vaughn, to get to, to James Fox's irritation, I think Andrew Vaughn and, and maybe what your mean Mercedes has been doing is what Andrew Vaughn was expected to do, which is kind of hit everybody and get that balance. I think you can you can be worried early on, and the one that makes me a little bit the two guys that make me a little bit more worried about that not coming around is if Yasmani Grandal and Yohan Moncada struggle against righties all season. I think more than even Abreu and Robert, I think that's going to be the bigger problem because those are the guys that were expected as switch hitters to be the left-handed bats to balance out the lineup. Not necessarily Abreu, who you hope will get off of whatever this thing is where he's trying to be the MVP in every at-bat, or Robert, who you still could see struggle against righties, you know, in the early part of his career here. But the two switch hitters, your third baseman, your catcher, these guys were the big bats that are supposed to balance out the lineup and avoid you having to do something like go and spend a ton of money on Michael Brantley as a DH or a right fielder to try and get, you know, uh, an even bigger piece of, of what Adam Eaton is doing in the early going. Andrew Vaughn has played in just one more game than Zach Collins. We're going to talk with James Fox next and find out why he's so angry here on Socks in the Basement, found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Join us on the phone line. Good friend of the show, Future Sox, Southside Sox. James Fox is on the line, covers the White Sox, been on here a ton of times. James, as I have been watching your social media account, namely your Twitter account, I get the feeling you're upset about a few things early on in the season, namely the use of Andrew Vaughn. Explain this to me. I mean, I don't know how I can explain it. It doesn't make any sense that... There's no way that the front office and Tony are on the same page. None. Like, you'll, you'll never get me to believe it. You know, on the other hand, like, Andrew Vaughn's still on the team and they haven't sent him down. So, I don't know. Maybe this is some weird, like, thing where Tony LaRusso feels like he needs to, like, earn his stripes, like, before he's going to play regularly. But it's, you know, one of those old things, right? Like, he's going to need to, like, play to prove it. And, 
you know, I have all these Twitter mentions that are like, oh, he looks bad. And he's got a 400 on base percentage. It's 20 plate appearances. So it's probably meaningless, but like he's on base for, he's been on base eight of the 20 times that he's physically picked up a bat. And even like the Yearman thing is fun, but like Andrew Vaughn is significantly more important to the future of this organization than even Yearman is. But that doesn't even matter. Just put him in left field. Like there's no reason for Nick Williams and Billy Hamilton and guys like this to be to be playing in a season where you have World Series aspirations and you have Andrew Vaughn that could just do it instead. It just it makes absolutely no sense to me, and I don't I don't really understand what they're doing. You know, one of the things that I've seen argument wise is the idea that well, you know, he didn't have a lot of uh, at bats in the minor leagues, and so you kind of have to ease him in. And this is a normal thing for a rookie that you wouldn't just have him play every single day. But on the other hand. Let's say he gets off to a hot start over his first couple of games. He probably would have gotten the Yermin Mercedes treatment. So is it basically like you have to go eight for eight at the beginning of the year to be able to be in the lineup right off the bat to start the season? Yeah, I think for whatever reason, Tony doesn't like him or doesn't trust him, which is crazy to me. But yeah, I mean, he he's basically faced lefties, but they're not going to face lefties that often, especially if teams are smart and like wise up and stop pitching lefties against the White Sox in general. So, I mean, if he's only going to face lefties, he's not going to play very often. So you might as well send him down as soon as the Charlotte season starts. Just just send him down, and Tony can try to win a division with his hodgepodge of, like, young vets who are, you know, close to being out of the league anyway. I mean, like, Nick Williams? Really? Like, what are, what are we doing? Like, I, I don't understand. If it's, you know, Vaughn can only play DH, and they want to play Yerman instead, at least, like, you know, that makes, okay, that makes a little bit of sense to me, right? But But it's not an issue. Like, he's been fine in left field. Like, I was a little apprehensive about him being able to play in left field, but he's, but he's been okay. So just play him there every day. Like, this doesn't have to be this hard. Um, but, you know, it's not the only puzzling thing. I mean, I thought we were going to be done, like, talking about managerial decisions on a day-to-day basis, like, after, you know, they got rid of Ricky Renteria. But it's, you know, there's still puzzling stuff that seemingly goes on all the time with this, with this club, and it's just because nobody's in charge. And nobody's ever been in charge, and that's the way Jerry likes it because then nobody has to take any blame for anything. So it sounds to you like your your feeling is that they're not on the same page. I got the feeling in spring training that based upon some of the moves that were being made, Tony LaRusso might be asking for a guy, and Rick Hahn's like, all right, cool, that makes sense. I'm going to give you your team. But when they come out of camp, you're saying that there's a clear disconnect between what LaRusso wants to do and what the front office expected him to do. Yeah, I think so. And from what I know, like, you know, Han had a lot of power with, with Renteria in the dugout. And I think a lot of that stuff, like a lot of those pitching decisions that people didn't like, I think came from the front office. And I think part of the reason why Tony's here is to usurp some of the power from the general manager's chair. But I mean, the problem with that then is like, you know, what's happening now? I mean, look, like Rick Han has the power to just Billy Bean moneyball this thing, right? I mean, he can just like, DFA Nick Williams. Like, there's nothing stopping him from doing that part. He can't make Tony play Andrew Vaughn, but he can get rid of the players he's playing instead. Look, like, maybe Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are, like, fine with this, like, slow ingratiation, in, you know, period for Andrew Vaughn. I just don't buy. I just don't. How? Like, it doesn't make any sense compared to, like, how they've treated other similar guys. Like, if you're up, you got to play and play all the time. Like, I, don't, I just don't know what they're getting out of this. And for somebody like me who believes that Andrew Vaughn is like going to be the three hitter for the majority of this decade. Like, I I just don't really understand what they're doing. Do you think that the decisions that have been made with the bullpen are more Tony trying to figure out who he can trust? And sometimes 
he's getting proved wrong, then he's just uh, becoming a paint-by-numbers bullpen guy because he keeps Liam Hendricks out of a game because he's waiting for him to come in in the ninth. Is he trying out his other bullpen arms in pressure situations early so that he knows what he has later on in the season? Or is this something we should expect all year long? No, I think they're just trying to figure it out. And I don't even think the bullpen was used poorly, like, initially, right? Guys just, like, they played bad defense and guys didn't get out. Like, I think they came into the season thinking, you know, that Hendricks is probably the ninth inning guy, but he could do more. At least that's that's why the front office signed him, right? They called him an out-getter, and that's um, – that, Han was very clear about that last week. He kind of pushed back a little bit, I think, when he, when he was like, yeah, he, he's available in any situation. You know, this isn't like Alex Colomay. But, I mean, I think in an ideal world, Aaron Bummer and Marshall were Tony's desired eighth inning guys, you know, to get the Hendricks. And then Cody Hoyer, I think, was probably sixth or seventh, who is probably going to end up being their eighth inning guy, in my opinion. He's probably looked the best so far. Matt, you know, Matt Foster hasn't been as good as they've expected. And then the the crochet and Kopech thing is interesting because you got to get those guys like 100 innings if you can. So... I do. I think it'll figure itself out. I think if you look at like the advanced stats right now, still the bullpen's like fifth in baseball, even with like all the issues. They just, you know, they need to score runs, which has been the biggest issue so far. I think the defense will get cleaned up enough. Like I think it's a good baseball team. I think they're five and five. They could easily be eight and two. Um, you know, not everything they've done is bad, but I think it's mostly because of the talent on the field instead of the dugout, where a lot of people thought that you know, they would have the edge in the dugout because Tony's in there. And I'm just not sure they have so far. You and I talked about this a lot on this show uh, last year. The idea that over 60 games, every game meant so much more. And now people kind of have to realize that, nope, it's 162 now. And you're going to have these ups and these downs and these ebbs and these flows. And you might have started off against a very good Angels team that is going to end up in the postseason this year. And they were no slouch. And when you ran into them at their own place to start off the year and coming out of that road trip three and four shouldn't have you pulling your hair out. So I've been trying to preach a little bit of calm. And I think that that's a little bit about what you just said right there. So to you then, is the biggest problem the issue still hitting against right-handed starting pitching? Because that seems to be maybe my biggest concern, that I'm still worried they don't have enough firepower when a right-hander comes in, because there seems to be a very different result depending on what type of pitcher is on the mound with this team. Yeah, absolutely. And it it was a problem last year, and we kind of like glossed over it because of how good their offense has been. Look, they're not going to face that many lefty starters, and it especially if like teams come around, like, why would you throw a lefty against this team? Like you'd have to be nuts to do so unless you're, you know, one of these like tanking teams and you don't care. But yeah, like they've struggled against right-handed pitching mostly because Yasmani Grandal is, is good from the left side, but he's better from the right side. Um, and then you have Yohan Mankata and Adam Eaton from the left side. And you could like, maybe put like the unproven Zach Collins in there. I mean, you just like don't have, you don't have enough left-handed thump. And it's one of the reasons why, I was okay with using Madrigal in a deal, you know, to get some sort of like left-handed hitter in here because at some point something's going to have to give somewhere. I mean, even like Abreu, right-handed, Vaughn, right-handed, Eloy Jimenez is right-handed and he was good against righties last year. So it's not really that big of a deal, but yeah, I mean, it's like they do struggle against right-handed pitching, especially really good right-handed pitching. It's one of the issues you know, that I got myself in trouble last year talking about Jose Abreu because in 2019, he had a 99 weighted runs created plus against right-handed pitching. And then people, 
you know, told me I was crazy and that I was picking on Jose and that why would I ever question him? He wanted it because like, he was league average performer against righties. And then last year he was awesome and nobody really expected it. So like, I'll own that one. But like, yeah, I mean, if he goes back to league average production against right-handers, like they're in a world of trouble and they'll be looking for, you know, some sort of left-handed run producer at the deadline, whether that's whatever, like Charlie Blackman or Joey Gallo or whoever. I mean, yeah, they need left-handed run producers in their lineup. But they have so many spots accounted for, I don't know where that guy's going to play. You have been with Future Sox for years. You have paid attention to these guys when they're down in the system. You pay attention to these prospects. If Andrew Vaughn was in the lineup every day, do you think he can produce well against righties? Or is there a reason why he's basically only hitting against lefties right now? I, I think Andrew Vaughn's a middle-of-the-order force that's going to hit 25 to 30 homers with on-base percentages close to, like, 400. So... Is he that this year? No, I mean, probably not over the course of a year, but I think that's like the player he is. I mean, you, first basemen are, are just not top 10 prospects in the sport, like notoriously. And he is for a reason because of his power profile and plate patience and everything else that he brings to the table. So yeah, like I think he's, he's a guy. And I think like him being right-handed isn't that big of a deal. I just think they're too right-handed everywhere else. I think ultimately you know, if, if Vaughn plays left and Eloy is your DH, like your right fielder is going to have to be a lefty somewhere. And I think down the road here, depending on how long Abreu plays, I mean, then, you know, hopefully you can add more left-handed hitting outfielders somewhere, you know, just to like kind of balance this lineup out a little bit. Because I don't really think Yasmani Grandal and Yohan Mankata as like your left-handed run producers, that's probably not enough for a team that's trying to win a World Series. James Fox covers the White Sox, and you see him on pretty much every uh, medium. I, I see him on TV sometimes. I hear him on the radio, and he comes on Sox in the basement all the time, and we appreciate that. Hopefully things get a little bit better. Hopefully they start playing Andrew Vaughn before your head explodes, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Great crowd on Sunday over at Cork and Carey at the park at 33rd in Princeton and a lot of people wearing the socks in the basement trucker hats they got for free. Thanks for grabbing them and putting them on your noggin. Another guy that gave out some things there, one of our advertisers, Butch Zemar, he's got a podcast on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, which is also something that Socks in the Basement is part of. Butch is a proud sponsor here on Socks in the Basement. He wants you to check out his podcast, The Zemar Podcast. He talks business, he talks insurance. He wants to help out you if you're a CFO, an HR professional, or an owner of a company and you're tired of health insurance premium increases each and every year. A lot of people wait until open enrollment. Forget that. By then, it's too late. Get in contact with Butch right now. He's going to save you money. He's going to help your employees out. He's going to make everybody happy. We're talking thousands or tens of thousands of dollars per year in savings for your employees, and for your company. Shoot him an email, butch, at elitebenefits.net. Check out elitebenefits.net, the website, and make sure you listen to the Zmar podcast. A lot of good stuff there from James Fox. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate whenever he comes on. He's not normally as uh, as agitated, but you can tell that Andrew Vaughn thing really bothers him a lot. It's it's sticking in his craw just a bit, isn't it? <laughs> it really gets him. Just, just really, just a thorn in the side, just a... Just a whoopee cushion full of whipped cream. Yeah, he's not he's not a happy camper. No. And, and here's the thing. He has a point. Like, look, why would the White Sox start the clock on an Andrew Vaughn if the idea was he was going to play half the t- half the games? 
which is essentially what he's doing right now. He's playing half the games. And the other half of the games, he's on the bench. And so clearly, Tony LaRusso doesn't trust him and doesn't want him out there. And so there's going to be a there's going to be a push comes the shove moment coming up here that either a Adam Engel comes back. Tony goes, that's my guy I'm putting out in the outfield because I want better defense there. And I don't want to have this kid playing in the outfield. And then it becomes, well, then we want Vaughn DHing, And where do you put your mean? Or does Vaughn go back to the minor leagues? Because it doesn't make any sense if he's barely playing on the team or and I thought this was really funny. I mean, the moment he said it, I started laughing to myself. Is this become like the movie Moneyball? where Billy Bean in the front office wanted something and the manager didn't want something. So he sat there and said, well, then I'm just going to take those players away from you that you want. Once the triple A season and the double A and the single A seasons begin, do you see roster moves or do these guys work it out? Do you think there's a possibility that there's really that kind of a back and forth going on right now between manager and general manager about how to use Andrew Vaughn? I do. I I, I think, there's a couple things going on. I think one, Rick Hahn is going to recognize the fact that your mean Mercedes is doing something that wasn't un, just unexpected and is blocking Vaughn a little bit. But the fact that Vaughn has not been out in left field every single day and has not been playing in the games, you know, like, like we were talking about, um, I do think there's going to come a point where Hahn's going to sit there and go, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to let you start Billy Hamilton or Nick Williams or whoever's riding the end of the bench over Andrew Vaughn. And I don't know that he's going to get away with being able to, the problem with Rick Hahn right now is I don't know that he's going to be able to get away with getting rid of enough players for Larusa to get to that point. If Larusa really doesn't want Vaughn out there, because he would not only have to DFA Hamilton, Williams, Engel, Larry, and possibly Jake Lamb in order to get there. I, I, I was waiting for you to say that because I was thinking to myself, like, Tony would just march Jake Lamb out there to try to prove a point. Yeah, like a lamb to slaughter, Jake would be in left field. Let's think of Leary Garcia as what he is, a, a backup player, yeah. right? And and he's a guy who backs up in the outfield and also backs up in the infield. But it's become very obvious at this point that Danny Mendick is far more trusted over at shortstop. LaRusso was right to make that move. I agree yeah, with him. 100%. And, a hundred percent. And if Mendick's going to hit the way that he's hit since he got brought up after not making the team out of camp, he should be in there more than Leary. But Leary's got twice the at-bats of your high-end superstar, top 10 in MLB prospect, Andrew Vaughn, who, as James said, you don't see a lot of guys who are first basemen that get ranked that high. His hit tool has to be insane for him to be ranked that high when he's only a first baseman. And so for Vaughn to be rated as high as he is across all of the majors when it comes to being a prospect, wouldn't you want him to have more at-bats or maybe even the same amount of at-bats, but not half of the at-bats of a Larry Garcia, not about the same amount of at-bats as a Billy Hamilton. Like he shouldn't be doing that. That's a problem. Yeah, I just, I, I, I'm with James on the idea that Andrew Vaughn, he's got a hit his way out of the slump. That's the only way you can do it. You can't hit your way out of a slump sitting on a bench watching other guys hit. He's getting on base four out of every 10 times that he comes to the plate. He's 400 in terms of getting on base. So yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't hit a bunch of bombs yet, you know, but I mean, it's not like he's up there. I mean, here, let's compare him to Leary. Leary's got a 107 OBP compared to the 400 Andrew Vaughn has. Let's, let's compare him to Nick Williams. Nick Williams only has a 333 on base percentage and Andrew Vaughn's got a 400. Let's, let's compare him to Billy Hamilton. Hamilton's actually got a, a high one at 385, but guess who gets on base more? Andrew Vaughn. Yes. 
If you want to pull Andrew Vaughn in the seventh inning because you want to go defensive, fine. Make that argument to me. But the guy should be starting. And Larusa coming out early in the week last week and saying he's not one of our core everyday players. Right then and there, I imagine Rick Hahn doing a spit take literally into the face of Kenny Williams while they're listening to the radio while they're sitting at his desk. Like Kenny comes in and goes, hey, Rick, what's going on? Ah, uh, not much. I just was, you know, getting ready for the game. What do you think Tony's going to do this week? I don't know. I just hope he starts playing Vaughn more. And you can hear the interview in the background. And he goes, well, he's not one of our core everyday players. And Rick just spit takes into Kenny Williams' face. And then they just sit there and stare at each other. You have the scene slightly wrong, though. Rick does a spit take into Kenny's face, but they're in a hot tub and Kenny drops the shrimp cocktail into the hot tub. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.